This is Chapter 9, Part 4 of The War on Waste Paradox, read by Len Bertain. Although we didn't know it at the time, Mr. Grimes had gone to see Tony with the pink copy of the same work order. Just to summarize here, we're about to see a lot of confusion and maybe typical of what happens in all companies when multiple people put orders in. Whenever Mr. Grimes needs something expedited, he gets Tony to do it. He found him and said that it was a rush order and to put somebody on it right away. Tony went back to the tool crib to look for Gus, but he wasn't there. So Tony found Frank to do it instead and that he should get on it immediately. As Tony walked away, Gus came out of the back of the tool crib. Gus had done most of the setup and already had it almost completed, and only needed a few more steps to measure the offsets to complete the program. Before he left to get the other tools, he pushed his cart over by the coordinate measuring table. While Gus was getting his other tools together in the tool crib, Frank was doing the setup for Tony. He walked past Gus's cart. On the cart was a 16-inch center lube boring bar. The company only had two of them. They were custom-made, and by having two, we could work with one and send the other out for sharpening. The boring bar was only used for this specific job. So as he passed by, Frank grabbed the bar and went on his way. When Gus brought the rest of the tools back to his cart, he set the tools down and noticed the boring bar was missing. He scratched his head and muttered, I know I had that son of a bitch on there. As he wandered around back to the cool tool crib, he went back to where the bar was kept to see if he had forgotten it, but it wasn't there. He came out to see me and asked, Did you pick up that 16-inch boring bar? I can't find it. I told him that I hadn't seen it, and he said, This is crazy. I know I put it on the cart, and now it's gone. We only use it on this one job. His head was shaking as he walked away. Frank was measuring the offset for his tools. He was hunched over the boring bar measuring the offset in its holder. Gus looked at him as he walked by but didn't pay any attention to Frank, what Frank was doing. He walked back to the tool crib again and asked a couple of the men if they had seen the bar and they said they hadn't. Gus got frustrated easily and this was starting to get to him. He knew he had put the boring bar on the cart. He looked for a while longer and then he went to see Jim. Jim, do you know what happened to that boring bar for this setup? I had it on my cart and went back to get it. It wasn't there and I can't find it anywhere. It just disappeared. Jim replied, I haven't seen it. Don't we have another one? Gus explained that there were only two and that the other one was at the sharpening shop. Jim said, well, we don't have time to fool around. Somebody, send somebody over to the sharpener to get another one. Gus went off in search of a driver. Tony's crew was almost finished with the setup, so Tony went off to find Bernard to have him input the program. When the driver got back with a boring bar from the sharpener, Gus quickly took the offset, dropped off the boring bar with me, and went into the Bernard's office. Gus asked Bernard to drop what he was doing and run his program. Bernard told him that the program he was entering was a rush order from Tony, and as soon as he was finished with it, he would start on Gus's. Gus stood and fumed as Bernard finished. Gus handed the work order to Bernard and Bernard said, 
I entered, just entered this program for Tony's cell. Are you sure this is the right work order? Man, you could hear the yelling all the way down the hall, even over the sound of the machines. Gus was a funny sight, yelling and waving the blue work order in the air, but no one was laughing. Gus grabbed Jim and me, and we walked over to Tony's cell. They were just finishing the same setup that we had been working on. Gus said, Tony, what the hell's going on? Jim gave me this setup. Tony said, how should I know? Mr. Grimes came down here right after class and told me this was a rush order and to get right on it. Look, Gus said, there's the damn boring bar I was looking for. Who took it? Frank said that he had found it on a cart and just put it with his stuff. It looked like Gus and Frank were going to get into a fight. Jim stepped in between the two and calmed things down. Just then, Mr. Grimes walked over to where we were. I guess he heard all the commotion. What the hell is this, a convention? Jim explained to him what had happened. Mr. Grimes said that it was his fault for not checking with Jim, perhaps for not having for having Tony start the job. Mr. Grimes said, well, at least the setup's done, so let's start running these parts. We can't, Jim replied. The parts aren't back from the plater. Mr. Grimes was very angry. He looked at Jim and said, what in the hell's going on in this suit? Where are our damn parts? Jim said, I'll go check with Buck. Mr. Grimes accompanied him to the loading dock. As soon as they left, the group around Tony's cell broke up. Gus and Frank walked back to the tool crib, all arguing all the way about the boring bar. I went back to my machine and started to tear down the wasted setup. I figured it was better to just keep my head down and start the next job. Talk about waste. Maybe I'll have some time to figure out how much time was wasted on that fire drill. Jim and his mill operator just stood around their Acme 1000 not doing anything. They were nervous because they knew both that both Mr. Grimes would be back and would see them and that Jim would be there as well. Jim and Mr. Grimes arrived at the loading dock. They asked Buck where the stuff was from the plater. Buck pointed to the three pallets sitting over in the receiving area. Mr. Grimes said, We're supposed to have a pallet of pump bodies. Those pallets have valve bodies. That rush order for pumps has to go out today. Buck told Mr. Grimes that the pallets of valve bodies were all that the plater had dropped off that morning. Mr. Grimes said to Jim, I'm going to back to my office. Find out where those goddamn pump bodies are and let me know. He turned and walked toward the office. Jim went to the phone on the receiving desk and called the plater. Sullivan's plating, Sully speaking. Jim said, hi, Sully, this is Jim over at Quality Pump. We were supposed to have some pump bodies galvanized and then have them back today. Well, you ain't getting them today, Sully said. They're right here in front of me. Jim explained, Sully, we've got to have those parts today. Hey, Sully replied, you guys will never learn, will you? I don't know how many times we've told you, but if you want your order the next day, you have to have it here by 10 a.m. That's 10 a.m., not 10.01. You have to have it in our facility, not on your dock. I don't want to teach you guys arithmetic, but it takes about 15 minutes for you guys to get here from your dock. Your guy has to allow 15 minutes for traffic holdups. Now, I figure your guy has to leave your dock at worst case 9.30. That seems pretty simple, doesn't it? 
Your truck pulled in here at 11.30 yesterday, and by that time all the racks were filled on the plater, and we were just putting them in the bath. Okay, Jim said. When's the soonest we can get them back? Sully replied. If you want to pay overtime, I can have a guy stay late tonight. He can wash them off and load them on a pallet, and you can pick them up at 7.30. Jim said, okay, do that, and I'll have a truck there in the morning when you open. Jim got on the phone and went over to Buck. He told him to have a truck at Sullivan's at 7 a.m., and then asked him why the truck was late at the platers. Buck told him that he had held the truck for those specific parts, and they had left as soon as they could. Jim said, okay, I understand, Buck. This is going to be a good problem to deal with in class tomorrow. Dr. Elby had heard about the boring bar incident and ventured up into Mr. Grimes' office. He stuck his head in the door and asked if he had a minute. Mr. Grimes looked up and said, Come on in, Jack. I guess you heard about our fiasco earlier. As a matter of fact, I did, Dr. Elby responded, and that's why I'm here. What happened there? Mr. Grimes explained the situation. Dr. Elby looked at Mr. Grimes and asked, Would you like to pursue the discussion of the war on waste paradox now? Mr. Grimes nodded and asked, You know, Jack, I have been thinking a lot about that. And he opened up his briefcase and pulled out a yellow pad. He placed it in front of him. He then looked at Dr. Elby and said, I looked up the definition of a paradox in Wikipedia, and it said a paradox is a true statement or a group of statements that lead to a contradiction or a situation that defies intuition. Is that okay? Yeah, it's a good starting point. So when I look at tribal knowledge and the mix of that with paradox, I get a feeling that all the stuff happening today triggered you coming in here today. Dr. Helby laughed. John, you're starting to figure me out. Yes, the fire drill that I heard about was a good example of this paradox in action. I don't see it, Jack, Mr. Grimes lamented. Jack, I went out to see Tony to expedite an order. That's all I did. Really? Is that all you did? I don't see it that way, Dr. Elby said sarcastically. John, think about what you said the other day to Mike Day of the Union. You told him that your people were up to the task demanded by this class and that you trusted them to get the job done. Mr. Grimes looked puzzled. I don't understand, Jack. What does that have to do with the war on waste paradox? Let me ask you this, Dr. Elby answered. Who is responsible for running the plant operations? And Mr. Grimes answered, Jim is responsible. Why? Then why did you go to Tony and not clear it with Jim? That's his job, isn't it? Yes, but. Was all Mr. Grimes could muster before Dr. L.B. jumped in. So you say to Mike that you trusted your people to get the job done, but that you don't trust Jim. What's that about? I've always gone to Tony. He's my go-to guy. And Jim isn't? Dr. Elby noted. Listen to this. I trust my people to get the job done, but I don't trust all of them. What does that sound like? Mr. Grimes responded, a paradox. It's certainly one of quality pumps, Dr. Elby concluded. But is that the paradox that I want to go over? Or is it just an example of your paradoxical leadership? You're in essence cutting down your leadership by creating a paradoxical example that confuses your people. You say one thing and do another. In other words, you don't believe your own rhetoric. Dr. Elby stood to leave and said, I'll let you noodle that. See you in the morning.
Dr. L.B. and Jim were already in the classroom when I arrived for class the next morning. They were standing by the desk, huddled in deep conversation. Gus and his crew came in. Gus was still complaining about the boring bar incident from yesterday's setup. Everybody was talking about what had happened the day before. Normally, we wouldn't have talked about an incident like that in front of our managers. Today, it seemed okay. Dr. Elby finished talking with Jim, went to the board, and wrote, Single Point of Control. He turned to the class and said, uh, I understand we had a Keystone Cops routine here yesterday. Everyone in the class started talking at once. Gus and Frank were still going at each other over the boring bar. Tony was saying that it wasn't his fault that the order came from on high. Bernard was telling everyone who would listen that this kind of stuff happens all the time. Dr. Elby raised his hand and yelled, Hold it, guys. The class quieted down. He continued, Remember, no blame. There's a lot of information on waste we can capture from yesterday's event but only if we go about in a structured, scientific way. The door opened, and Mr. Grimes entered. He sat down, and Dr. Elby continued. Okay, as I was saying, we can learn a lot from yesterday, but we have to approach it as we would any other problem. I can tell you from past experiences that situations like what happened to yesterday's screw-up are not just on the shop floor. They're going on throughout the company. Solving these problems is going to have far-reaching consequences throughout the company. I know everyone is hot to put out this fire, but it's just like fighting a real fire. You have to bring the proper equipment to the event. So step up. Let's look at the waste and fall, how much they cost, the causes of the waste, and any possible solutions. After Dr. Elby spoke, everyone calmed down and started to analyze the waste. We talked about the importance of a single point of control. Everyone could see that the real cause, that was the real cause of the recent problem, but it wasn't the only cause. It was just the trigger that set off a series of problems. For the rest of the class that day and for the next two sessions, we worked on waste that we found arising out of this one situation. We had lists of problems and solutions. Dr. Elby had been right. The causes of this problem were spread throughout the company. At the end of the class on Friday, Dr. Elby said, Okay, we've addressed this problem within the company, and there are others, certainly, that we may have overlooked. There were pump bodies that were to be machined. Where were they? Think about that over the weekend. These are the insights of Chapter 9. Dr. Elby does a pretty good job of explaining yes-no charts. When people first hear about them, they dismiss them as primitive concept. But the bulk of the resistance to change or modifying of tribal knowledge and integrate it, integrating it into the mainstream of business process requires a formal behavior modification tool, and that is the yes-no chart. It is a very powerful measure of a team particularly one that is protecting or dealing with secretive tribal knowledge. Once the measurement is in place, you are measuring the team's collective behavior and not just an individual. What makes it easy to change the resistance of those who are working under a tribal knowledge process? They can save face and feel proud of the improvement that they have achieved under the banner of no blame.
Dr. Elby and Mr. Grimes begin the first serious discussion of the war on waste paradox. It concludes with an observation that a paradox exists when managers say things like, I trust my people, but not all of them. I don't know how many people have heard this anywhere, but I sure have. People hear stuff like this all the time from management, and that is what we're going to explore as a quality pump story unfolds. This isn't all there is to it. There's a lot more. Dr. Elby is showing Mr. Grimes some of the detailed examples of a war on waste paradox, but he has not pushed Mr. Grimes yet to the real paradox. That will come in time, and Mr. Grimes should ultimately figure it out. That's the end of Chapter 9, Part 4. See you in Chapter 10.